You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.fin. Well, good morning. It's fantastic to be with you, especially if you're joining us on the big screens at uh, our central site or Inverurie or Ellen or Peterhead. It's fantastic to have you with us. Um, also our online site, as always. Uh, just a, before we start, just a little moment of pastoral care. There have been a number of people have been really worried and concerned. They've said there's a giant ball of fire in the sky and we don't know what it is. And I just wanted to let you know, people in other parts of the world, they call that the sun. Uh, it's nothing to be alarmed about and uh, it's for your good. So anyway, just a little just a little joke. I know it's terrible. Anyway, so we are continuing our series in the book of Acts. We've been in the book of Acts since last summer. I think we'll be finished by Christmas. That's not a promise, but it's an aspiration. And um, we're landing straight away in Acts chapter 18. Uh, and so if you've got your Bible with you, either in the original book version or uh, some kind of digital device, then now is the moment to produce it. We're going to dive straight in Acts chapter 18. I'm going to read from verse 18. It says this, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Cenchreae because of a vow he'd taken. Now let me just pause for a moment because that is a bit weird. He had his hair cut off because of a vow. Um, some scholars think that what that's referring to is it, um, in the book of Numbers, there was a kind of a special... Um, instruction given to Jewish men it was like if you want to show an act of devotion to God and just set your side set yourself aside for prayer and uh, just for personal devotion then you could do a Nazarite vow and essentially what that means is you say I'm not going to cut my hair for a particular period of time and I'm going to give myself to prayer and fasting instead and then at the end to signify okay I've had that moment with God then you would cut your hair off and it seems like that's what's happened here so anyway just in case you're wondering he's he's personally devoted himself to God uh, whilst he's on mission with God it says they arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews when they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it's God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and travelled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all of the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and talk about, talked about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. 
for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. And that's God's word to us today. Now, I'll just warn you before we get going, you might want to put your tray tables in the upright position and make sure that your seatbelt is securely fastened because there's a huge question that it seems to me comes out of this passage to each one of us today. And it's this, what am I doing with my life? See what I mean? No small questions today. Did anyone hear the words brace, brace, brace? Uh, What am I doing with my life is a huge question. It's also a question that's being asked in our society by more and more people. You see, like back in the day before COVID, you might have been speaking to your neighbor or your friend at the gym and you might have said, hey, what's kind of the goal? You know, like, what's your aspiration? What are you hoping for from life? And they might say, well, you know, I'm just, uh, I I just want to make a difference in my life. Um, uh, You know, I just want to have a nice car. I'm not asking for much, you know, but I'd like a nice car and maybe one of the corner offices. And, you know, I just want to have a job that I enjoy. Uh, You know, feels like it's important, significant. And then, of course, during COVID, what happened was we all had whatever car we had, but it was against the law to drive it anywhere. And we all had an office, maybe, but we weren't able to use it. And essentially, those of us who weren't on the front line, we all had the same job, which was to sit at our kitchen table and shout into the laptop, you know, you're on mute, you're on mute. There's a button down in the left-hand corner, you've got to press. We all had the same job. And, And it turns out that even though we think we're all making a difference in the world, the people who are called influencers are young people with skinny jeans and a YouTube channel and so ultimately whatever we thought before COVID many many people are now saying what am I actually doing with my life in fact sociologists are calling this year 2022 the great resignation or the big reshuffle or the big quit because so many people are saying if this is my life I'm not sure I want to do it like this anymore And it seems to me that we would be very wise as followers of Jesus to just allow that question to bite into our own lives. What am I actually doing with my life? And more importantly, is what I'm doing with my life uh, in sync, uh, compatible with God's aspirations and dreams for my life? Is the trajectory and the activities of my life what God would have? And so this question, what am I doing with my life, strikes me as being a really important question. It seems to me that as we're asking that question, we would learn a lot from the characters in this passage. Paul, Apollos, Priscilla, Aquila and others, because they're living anything other than a beige life. You know, like they're, they're not interested in a beige car and a beige job and a beige office and a beige life. They are living a life of apostolic and eternal impact for the kingdom of God. They're, they're on an adventure with Jesus. And uh, I don't know about you, but that sounds really, really attractive to me. And so what can we learn from them? The first thing that we can learn is this, sailing, not rowing, sailing, not rowing. That was, of course, uh, a phrase that that, uh, our friend Steve Nicholson used when he was visiting with us a few months ago. Uh, And it was a a phrase that he used to describe how we might live um, uh, as people of the spirit. 
You know, he was saying essentially like, we could just spend our lives just rowing really, really hard, just trying to make things happen for ourselves, or we could hoist the sails of the Spirit and allow the wind of the Spirit to just take our lives wherever it is that God wants us to go. Um, in my personal Bible reading last week, I just, you know, I'm reading through and, and, and I just came across this verse. It's a, a moment where Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, it's verse 8. And Jesus says this, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And I don't know about you, but I just felt my spirit just lift. I was like, yes, that is who I want to be. You know, Jesus is calling us. In fact, he's telling us that we already are people of the Spirit. We are people of the wind of the Spirit. And, and if we hoist up our sails, then we could find ourselves literally anywhere on the face of the earth. Uh, we could find ourselves before kings and princes. We could find ourselves ministering to the outcast and the demonized and all of it because God has placed us there for that moment to carry out his plans and his purposes. What a glorious way to live. That's the way that Paul lives his life. Do you remember a couple of chapters ago in chapter 16? Uh, Paul and his companions are on a mission to communicate the good news of Jesus. And uh, as they're going, then the, the next logical, just common sense place that they should find themselves, that they should try to go to, is, is Asia, the Roman province of Asia. And, and they're trying really hard to get there, but they just can't seem to get there. And, and um, the Holy Spirit, in fact, the scripture says that the Holy Spirit stopped them from going to Asia. And so, in fact, in the end, they hoisted up their sails. They were like, OK, Lord, where next? And Paul has this vision, a dream of a man in Macedonia beckoning them towards Macedonia. And they're like, that's it. That's the instruction. And so off they go. And as a result of just following the wind of the Spirit, they find themselves uh, meeting someone called Lydia in Philippi and leading her to Jesus and then planting a church in her house. And then they put the sails up again and the Spirit leads them to Thessalonica where they meet Jason and lead him to Jesus and plant a church in his house and then they set off again and they meet Dionysius and Demaris and lead them to Jesus in Athens and then they finally end up in Corinth where they meet Aquila and his wife Priscilla and they lead them to Jesus and then they meet Crispus and uh, lead him and his entire household to Jesus. He's the, one of the kind of bigwigs in the, in the synagogue there and then they end up leading loads and loads more people to Jesus in Corinth and planting a church there too. And then our passage kicks off in verse 18 of chapter 18. It says, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time, then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Aquila. Verse 19, they arrived at Ephesus. Where's Ephesus? It's the capital of the Roman province of Asia. He got there in the end. I find that so challenging, deeply challenging and hugely inspiring. You know, if Paul had just pressed on anyway and gone to Asia, just made it happen, just rowing his way to Asia, he would have known the Holy Spirit was saying no. Then he would have uh, never met Lydia or Jason 
or Dionysius or Demaris or Aquila or Priscilla or Crispus and his entire family. They would have never led any of them to Jesus. They would have never planted churches in Philippi or Thessalonica or Athens or Corinth. But they put their sails up and they were people of the wind of the Spirit. Sailing, not rowing, is not only a glorious adventure, but also a profoundly fruitful way to live. And then, as if to reinforce it, when Paul finally reaches the synagogue in Ephesus, which is where he would have been two years before, he gets there, they say, we're loving this teaching, please will you stay for a bit longer? He says, no, I'm sorry, I've got to move on. Uh, and, and then, um, by way of explanation in verse 20, he says, I will come back if it's the Lord's will. Sailing, not rowing. You know, it leads me to think of uh, one of those, um, you know, those films where they have a, a, a giant map on the wall or a giant map on the, on the table, kind of a war room or a control room. And there little pieces on the map representing people and, and groups of people. And uh, you can just imagine the, the, in the throne room of heaven, this enormous map and the Lord's moving, you know, Priscilla and Aquila from Rome and he's moving Paul from Corinth and he's, you know, just like moving all these people from place to place and, and, you know, and each moment when he brings these people together and he pours out his spirit there's like this boom of fruitfulness for the kingdom and then just moving other people and then he's like I'm going to move Paul on and Paul's going to go to Jerusalem but then I'm going to move Apollos in and Apollos is going to meet with Priscilla and Aquila and again boom just another moment of incredible fruitfulness which leads me to the question like how's that working out for us? You know, do I have, uh, uh, is my life being directed and guided by the throne room of heaven and by the hand of God and the wind of the Spirit? Or am I just making things happen in my own life? All of that leads me to the question, or several questions. First of all, am I listening for the still small voice of the Spirit to lead my path and guide my steps. Second question, if the Holy Spirit said no to something in my life, would I hear him? And also what adventures await for me if only I could learn to discern the voice of the Spirit of God amongst all of the other voices in my life. Sailing, not rowing is the first principle. The second one is homes, not thrones. Homes, not thrones. One of the things that I've loved as we've journeyed through the book of Acts is that there are so many moments of surprise where you're just like, I would never have done it like that, or I just couldn't have expected that. So many moments that are counterintuitive or countercultural. You know, here, here they are, often the very first Christians to arrive in any place. And it's like completely new territory for the gospel. And, you know, these are people who've been filled with the personal power and presence of God, the Holy Spirit. They've been given the gospel by none other than the Prince of Peace himself. And you might imagine that when they arrive in a particular city, they think, now how can we find ourselves in a place of influence and prominence here for the gospel? You know, let's not forget the Apostle Paul, he's a, a Roman citizen. 
So he could have easily pulled some strings and found himself on the, you know, the city council or whatever the equivalent was, the forum. Or uh, he was also, uh, you know, a very, very uh, well, uh, uh, he, he was, he'd been schooled by, by some of the most influential theologians and scholars of the day. And so he could have easily pulled some strings and found himself on the ruling council of the synagogue and used that position of influence. But it's so strange that, that they never do that. You never see that. In fact, all of the major investment, all of the major gospel work happens not in positions of influence, but instead in people's homes. It turns out that in the economy of God, the destiny of cities is determined in homes. You know, we could have tracked the word home. There's, there's probably a PhD thesis to be written on the theology of the home in the, the New Testament because uh, all the time the word home or, or activity crops up in people's homes. Just think about Acts chapter 1. You, you know, uh, they've, they've just watched Jesus ascend to go and be with his Father. They're meeting together. They're praying. They're waiting. They're, they're longing. They're hoping for the Spirit of God. Where are they doing that? in the upper room of somebody's home. Acts chapter 2, you know, the Spirit's been poured out. 3,000 people have been added to the church and now they're meeting together and eating together and praying and worshipping together. Where are they doing that? In one another's homes. And here we are in our passage. Uh, where do Priscilla and Aquila invite Apollos so that they can just steer him uh, onto a more accurate path in terms of the gospel? It says there, verse 26, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more accurately. There's um, a, a, an idea that, that kind of floats around the church uh, in, in our day and you know technically the, the name of it is, is dominion theology it's the idea that Christians should seek out positions of influence in society for the sake of the gospel and, and you know sometimes you, you hear people talk about the seven mountains of influence you know the idea is if we could just get you know a few good Christian men and women in the, on the mountain of in, uh, of politics or the mountain of the media or the mountain of education or whatever it might be that then we could really start to see God change something in our society and it all sounds really logical and it makes perfect sense but do you know in the scriptures you never see them doing that instead of dominion theology what you actually learn is kingdom theology which works in a whole different way. In fact, it's the kind of the opposite way from let's just take the mountains and, you know, work our way down. You know, Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's tiny. You can, you, you can almost hardly see it. But when it grows, it grows into this enormous tree and, and, and the birds of the air come and find shelter in its branches or the kingdom of God is like a is like the yeast th that's hidden in the dough but has an enormous impact or the kingdom of God is is like treasure that's buried beneath the soil and actually it turns out that that does seem to be what what happens that you know um, people's homes 
are the, the kind of focal point of kingdom activity. And yet what you see is what's been hidden, what's been buried, what's been really, really small and seemingly insignificant. If you follow the trajectory of church history, it becomes this thing that overturns the, the, the trajectory of the whole of the Roman Empire. Homes, not thrones. It's, it's, it's in people's homes where the destiny of people's lives are changed and therefore the destiny of cities. The truth is that I'm only a Christian today because Terry and Christine Miller, when I was 14, 15 years old, they'd pick me up in their brown Ford Fiesta from the gates of my school and they'd take me back to their home and we would read the scriptures together and they would talk to me about Jesus and after that I committed my heart to God. You know, I'm only passionate about the church because Colin and Joe White gave me a front door key to their house and said, whenever you want to come, you just come. Come and live with us. I'm only a leader in the church and doing what I'm doing now because Justin and Alison Thomas made their lives accessible to me by opening up their home week after week after week. Listen, I, I know our homes took on a whole different kind of purpose during COVID, didn't they? They became a kind of fortress from the world. And, and so, you know, perhaps many of us were like, uh, using antiseptic wipes to wipe down the post when it came through the door or, or we, we, we were shouting at the Amazon man through the letterbox or whatever it was because our homes were this fortress. Well, I think it's time now. We still need to be careful. But I think it's time that each of us again praise, Lord, how would you use my home or our home in your kingdom? Who could I invite across the threshold of my house or my flat or whatever that I could really start to invest in? How could I use my home and hospitality in where I, the place where I live for the sake of God and his glory and his gospel? Homes, not thrones. Uh, third one, people, not prominence. People, not prominence. Uh, hands up if you've seen the new Top Gun movie. Isn't it epic? This maybe uh, says a bit more about me than I should give, give away, but... Um, when we were watching it, we'd been about one minute into the film and I said to my family, I'll be back in a minute. And I went to the guy uh, by the door and I said, hey, would you mind just turning it up a bit? <laughs> I just wanted to feel it in my body. None of the PA uh, volunteers in our church will be in any way surprised by that. Anyway, there's a movie from 1985 that they will not be making a sequel of or a remake. Will not be uh, doing again. It's called Brewster's Millions. Hands up if you remember Brewster's Millions. Uh, the story is played, uh, the, the lead character is played by Richard Pryor and he was a minor league baseball player um, and suddenly he finds himself in possession of 30 million dollars and the deal is he can only have 30 million dollars if he gives it all away gets rid of the whole lot in 30 days and so it's this ridiculous story he's like extravagantly giving it away to charity he's investing it in all kinds of wild schemes until after 30 days have gone there is literally nothing left and then as a result of that, he ends up winning $300 million. And the reason I'm telling you about that ridiculous film is because I think that's the way that Jesus is calling us to live. I think he's calling us to give away everything that we've learned and everything we've experienced 
everything that Jesus has done in our lives, every, everything that, that's happened to us on the pilgrimage that we've been on with Jesus, before we die, we're supposed to give it all away. We're supposed to pass it all on. We're supposed to leave nothing left. There's no prizes in heaven for getting there and saying, Jesus, I learned so much about you and there are loads and loads of notebooks on my shelf. Or Jesus, as I was walking with you, I put loads and loads of notes in my journal and they're under my bed. We're supposed to give away everything we've learned, invest it all into the lives of other people. And that's what Priscilla and Aquila do, isn't it? They're not interested in prominence or platform or position or recognition or reputation. It's really as simple as this. They have received freely and so they want to freely give it away. They can see that Apollos has got something about him. He's articulate, he's intelligent, he knows the scriptures. I'm getting that, by the way, from verse 24. He's passionate and enthusiastic and impressive. I'm getting that from verse 25. But they can see he's not the finished article. They can see he's got some gaps and they know that they can help him fill those gaps. And so they taught him everything that they knew. That's a vision for a life. Not just accumulating knowledge and experience and understanding and wisdom, but passing it on. You know, many of us have been walking with Jesus for decades now. And what I want to say is this, if there's one thing that our church needs more than any other, we need the Priscilla's and Aquila's of our church to take their place. If Jesus has done something in your life, if you've learned something on the journey with him, pass it on. Pass it on. Lastly, fourthly, the church, not my church. Now, don't misunderstand me here. You know, like, I passionately believe that every single Christian should be able to point to one local church and say, that's my spiritual home. And the truth is that there are hundreds of Bible verses, I should think, that it's literally impossible to um, obey unless you're part of a, you're a committed member of one local church. I'm thinking about things like submit to one another, bear one another's burdens, encourage one another daily, all of these kinds of things. And so, you know, if you're not a regular member of a local church, a committed member, I would strongly encourage you to find a local church that you can do that with and for. But the truth is that Jesus isn't only coming back for my church. As much as I think our church is really great, he's not only coming back for our church, he's coming back for the whole church. He's coming back for the Charismatics and the Conservatives and the Catholics. He's coming back for the Pentecostals and the Presbyterians. He loves the whole church. He loves the whole church. And um, I took su such huge encouragement from Priscilla and Aquila they have a church meeting in their home in, there in Ephesus. I'm, I'm taking that from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19. So we know that they've got a church meeting there in their home. And along comes Apollos. And uh, he's coming from Alexandria and he's on his way to Achaia. And so he's, they know he's only with them for a short time. But whilst he's with them, they're like, we're just going to invest our lives and everything we have, we're going to give him. And then there's a good chance that we'll never see him again. They're investing not just in their church, but the whole church. They give him everything that they've got. 
And the reason I found that so encouraging is because that's really been the story of our church. You know, right from the very beginning, you know, in, in the, the two house, church, house fellowships that, that were meeting in the mid-1980s that would eventually go on to become our church, they've always been students. You know, people who are just like with you for a few years and then they're away. Our friend Paul Reed says a church with lots of students in it is like preaching to the parade. How? How are you? Hi, how are you? Goodbye. Hi, how are you? Goodbye. Easy for you to say. But that's what it's like. But, but it's been so brilliant to watch over the years our church enfold itself, wrap itself around people for the duration, the, those students for the duration that they're here. Be a home from home for them, a family away from their families and give them everything that they've got. Same with the oil workers, you know, like we have people coming from Nigeria and Houston and, and uh, uh, Ghana and all these kinds of places. They arrive with us often just for a short period of time and then they're gone. But whilst they're here, we share our lives together. Same thing with the, the multi-site thing. You, you know, the truth is that, that for lots of people in our church, it's been hard. Because it's been like, oh, you're going now. You're going to go and start your new site over there. Brilliant. I celebrate with you. It's also hard. But we've invested in you. And now we, we, we want God to bless the whole church. And so we must send you to go. Same thing, you know, lots of people gave so generously and, and uh, sacrificially, financially, to make the, the sites things happen. And lots of you have given to sites that you've never even been to. And now, more recently, we've been planting churches, sending our best, or many of our best leaders away so that they can go and start new communities of faith in other cities. And none of that makes any sense if all I'm interested in is my church and how I'm going to benefit. Do you know when they uh, wave goodbye to Apollos, he goes to Achaia and verse 27 it says, when he arrived he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. That's the result. Gospel fruitfulness in other places. We celebrate too and we can enjoy it too because we want the whole church to flourish the church not just my church is a way to live so what am I doing with my life if I live my life by sailing not rowing I open my home I invest my life into others and I play my part in serving the whole church that might not be the detail of what I'm going to do with my life but it'll set me on the right path why don't I pray for us And Lord Jesus, we just recognise that we want to be people of the wind of the Spirit. We want to follow wherever it is that you're leading us and guiding us. So we pray, like we're kind of hoisting up the sails this morning and we say, the wind of the Spirit, would you blow? We we open up our spiritual ears. We choose to listen for the voice of the Spirit above all the other voices. We're open to you. Amen. Amen.